Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Our guest on today's episode of Think Humanities, author Joseph Anthony. In 1980, Anthony moved from Manhattan's Upper West Side to Hazard, Kentucky, and has remained in the Commonwealth since. He spent 35 years working as an English professor and has continued writing essays, poems, and books. We're delighted to have Joseph Anthony join us today to discuss some of his most recent work, an article included in the spring issue of Kentucky Humanities Magazine titled The Saga of Branch Valley. Thanks for joining us today, Joe. Uh, wow. Or is it Joseph? Should we stick uh, Joe, to the formality? Joe, please, Joe, please call Joe. Only uh, Sister Mary Carolyn was <laughs> the only one who called me Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me uh, and, and tell the people who have not read uh, the piece about the saga of Branch Valley. Well, what was Branch Valley? Uh, Alley. Alley. Uh, Branch Alley was a street uh, right in the middle of downtown, right across from the old Union Station. It, it was there before the Union Station was built in uh, 1907. It was a depository of, of a lot of sewage, a lot of uh, unclean waters from Town Branch. It was a, became, a, over the years, a black slum uh, a kind of notorious place that got lots and lots of press over the years. And uh, I wrote about it because I had seen a reference to it, and then I started researching it in the archives, mostly in the Kentucky Room, uh, a lot of Lexington Leader articles, some Morning Herald articles, and uh, it just fascinated me what happened to it, you know, the, uh, the legal system and how Branch Alley was eliminated. Well, I think one of the most fascinating uh, discoveries that you made was even with the help of uh, one of the researchers in the Kentucky room at the library, couldn't find Branch Alley on a map. No, you, I couldn't. Some of it might have been because I thought, well, was it a nickname? and just not an official name, but it, uh, there's at least 20 Herald uh, or 20 leader headlines, big headlines about Branch Alley. Everybody knew Branch Alley, and I could not find that on a map. And, and uh, your very good editor, uh, Marianne Strauss, couldn't find it either. We could find it basically where it was, but not on a map. It's just... One of those pieces of history that uh, I don't know if people just wanted to eliminate from our consciousness or it just happened like that. I wonder who had the power at that time to, uh, to make that happen, to uh, make a, a, a street, a, a section of town disappear. Well, <laughs> I'm not a conspiracist, but the railroad 
was a very, very important player in all this. And they wanted Branch Alley gone. And it got gone. Uh, they didn't want to pay for it. They didn't want to eliminate it themselves. It would have cost a fair amount of money to eliminate it themselves. But condemned and eliminated by the city, and they did have a great deal of sway with the city. And it's right there in the open. It's not like I'm imagining conspiracies. The meetings are reported in the newspapers. There they are, the officials, city officials, the railroad officials, the police, calling up the judge, Judge Riley. Uh, just here we are. And uh, what is astonishing about the piece, I don't know if you go to, is the um, legal methods they used. There had been a, a gunfight. It was a very rough place. There had been a gunfight in front of uh, Branch Alley on, I forget the exact day, in 1914. And it was in October in 1914. And it was a very bad gunfight. Uh, it uh, killed one man across the street and wounded another, and innocent bystanders were scattering in Union Station across the street from Branch Alley. Uh, and uh, these were African-American railroad workers from Irvine who had gotten into a brawl. Uh, quite often, this is where black workers might spend the night in a place like Branch Alley. There weren't too many other options for them. And uh, the city and everybody was quite justifiably very upset. And a leader came out with a blazing headline, let's do away with it once and for all. Let's clean it up. They met and they decided to clean it up. But what they did was they ended up at the front door of around 30, 35 mostly African-American women, and then when they opened the door, they were arrested for vagrancy. I quite, I don't quite understand how that could be, you know, even with our loose vagrancy laws, how you could be arrested for vagrancy opening your front door, you know, but they were, and they were carted down to the jail and the courtroom, the city courtroom, and, uh, most of them were jailed. Most of them were convicted. Well, it didn't take you long, in fact, uh, less than a minute in uh, your uh, story uh, about uh, Branch Alley to mention um, a town branch, um, which uh, you can tell our listeners who aren't familiar with what's going on in Lexington now about town branch, um, but what it was like back then uh, and what happened to it at uh, the time that you're describing Branch Alley? Well, Branch, Town Branch was a, a really an open sewage. You know, it, it, when it hit downtown, at least, out in the country, it might have been different. But uh, when it got to downtown Lexington, it was a terrible place, a terrible uh, stream. And back in the 1880s, when I first started researching it, First year of the Lexington Leader, they, uh, I report, they, uh, they were disgusted by the sewage dumping onto Branch Alley then. At that time, however, they didn't blame the inhabitants for the filth. 
they blame the city and its solution, you know. The fact is, they didn't even mention the race of the people in 1880s, uh, so perhaps they were just poor people. They could have been poor white people, but they sympathized with them back in the 1880s, but by 1940, it was no sympathy for the inhabitants unless they created the sewage that dumped into the alley, and it was it was pretty grotesque. When Town Branch wasn't just a sewage thing, it was a, a source of flood, too. So this is a, one of the reasons it's uh, covered over mm -hmm. now. So um, do you imagine that Town Branch ran along the same lines as they're uncovering it now, that they're not changing the flow of the stream from, let's say roughly, so people will understand uh, the area we're talking about, uh, the Manchester Distillery District, the newly revived uh, area down there, uh, uh, just off of, uh, now it's Oliver Lewis Way, uh, just off of Versailles Road, uh, that area where it goes underground, and it was it, it ran um, all the way uh, under, well, I guess openly, uh, up until what, the end of, uh, did, did they know exactly, was it where the old Harold uh, I think so, Winchester, building? yeah, yeah, up there, yes, I believe so, yes. And the city now is is doing what? I'm not asking you to, you, you're <laughs> not on the commission. Of the I'm not on the commission. In the mayor's office. I keep hearing different things. They, they, they've cut back on their plans, so now they're just going to be open in various places. Isn't that what you've heard? I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Uh, yeah. But, but the point is that we are uh, in Lexington, uh, part of the, plan is to, now this, this is maybe uh, the wrong uh, adjective to use, but we're, we're glorifying a, a stream that at one time was sewage runoff and flooding. Well, that's, well, that's true, Bill, but you have to remember before that, in the 1880s, uh, they were bemoaning the fact that it had turned into sewage. It hadn't always been sewage. And now, of course, with the federal decree against uh, Lexington of some years, uh, let's hope we have gotten our sewage more or less in hand. So it won't be going back to Town Branch, and uh, we can afford to open it up perhaps again. Then, though not. But the real story I feel like in the saga is, uh, is the arrest for vagrancy. Judge Raleigh was absolutely he was in on it before the court case. He assured the police that they wouldn't, he wouldn't pay too much attention to the legal niceties of it because they were afraid that her, the uh, leader, I, am, oh, I keep saying mm -hmm. the Herald, because mm -hmm. they combined later on, but uh, the Lexington leader worried out loud in an editorial that we would pay too much attention to legal niceties. In other words, search and seizure, warrants, all those kind of things. Uh, but they didn't, and Judge Riley assured them before the arrests were made that it would be okay. And in court, he paraded this group of 35 or 40 people, and the men, if they had any hope of going on, getting off, had to show their hands, to show that they were calloused, 
If they weren't calloused enough, they were convicted and perhaps sent, as he said, to improve the conveniences at the work farm. In other words, free labor for the city. Mm -hmm. And the women were put in jail. Uh, there was one case there where women, because there were some prostitutes on the street, but there were also just regular laundry workers. I don't know where they got their water, but mm -hmm. they had a trek for a couple blocks to get clean water, but they did. And this woman had a, a, a tub full of laundry for customers, and they were white women's customers. And one source, I said, was thought that one of their her customers was the mayor's wife. And these white women complained mightily, and the judge let her out to go finish the laundry. It's unclear in the reports I read whether she had to come back and face the charges or she was just paroled to finish the laundry or not. You write uh, in a time period approximately from 1888 uh, to uh, 1914. And in one uh, sentence you write in 1888, well, you also ask this question, who lived on the street? It's interesting to observe the change in attitude towards the people in the Lexington Leader in 1888 and later in 1914. I want to ask you about that change. Then you write, in 1888, the newspaper championed the victims who lived on the street, decrying the fact that the city's sewage found its way to, to Branch Alley. Um, so what about this, this change in uh, championing the victims and uh, changing the people who, who this interesting to observe the change in attitude towards uh, the people uh, that were living uh, on the street. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't have facts to back me up. I know they're black in 1914. I don't know their color in 1889 or 88. Uh, so I, I, but if there is a change in color, which there could have well have been, that would explain some of it. But it also could be that the, the railroad wasn't there in 1880s either. The railroad didn't come in till I believe, 1907 in Union Station. So that might have been part of the change in attitude. These were in the way, these people, in 1914. And an eyesore, and something needed to be done. But, of course, when we do these things to improve, uh, quite often we haven't taken into account the people who actually live there. And uh, this is the case there. At one point uh, also, again from 1914, uh, you refer, the leader referred to uh, a parade. Um, there's a quote, another woman named, uh, a woman named Martha Davis uh, also escaped and worked uh, it regular and only arrived in Branch Alley yesterday to quote, get in the parade. And you write that the parade makes it sound like it's festive, but it was far from that. It was far from festive, but this is the attitude of the leader reporter. They uh, half want to condemn, and in a fairly racist way, they are 
nudging the the right the white reader into aren't aren't these ridiculous people? Even the a woman caught up, uh, who was just caught up in the uh, arrest because she just arrived the day before, or so she claimed, uh, is uh, is made fun of. Where is uh, where are poor black people supposed to stay in Lexington if they don't have relatives? There, there's there's not too many choices in 1914. So that's it's part of the. Um, Part of the attitude of the reporters, they, uh, it's fairly offensive to our ears today. I hope it's offensive <laughs> to our ears. We'll return to that uh, theme um, and that conversation uh, will continue right after we hear from this word from our underwriter, Spalding University. At Spalding University's School of Creative and Professional Writing, students develop mastery of the writing skills highly prized in today's workplace, including arts and humanities organizations, government agencies, corporations, and small businesses. A professional writing student will explore opportunities writing for trade and consumer media, including reviews, profiles, interviews, and articles for sports, food, travel, health and science, and other publications. Learn more at spalding.edu slash school of writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. We're talking with Joe Anthony, whose uh, piece in our spring issue of Kentucky Humanities Magazine is titled The Saga of Branch Alley. And you do quote uh, a couple of times from uh, Douglas uh, Blackman. Um, and I want you to tell me who he is. I want to um, the, his book, Slavery by Another Name, accounts how vagrancy, there's your um, uh, use of that again, and other laws re-enslaved African Americans during uh, Reconstruction. And we're talking about uh, re-enslaving here in Lexington, Kentucky. So what do we know about, and, and uh, Douglas Blackman, obviously a scholar, a historian? Yes, yes. That was quite a Slavery by another name was uh, got a fair amount of press a few years ago, and it's it's an excellent book if uh, anybody uh, wants to pick it up. Um, I was surprised when I came across this in Lexington. Lexington was a a place of refuge in some ways for blacks fleeing the rural areas where they were much more oppressed. Louisville was too. And so it wasn't the deep south. It wasn't Alabama or Mississippi, Kentucky. But we had a lot of oppression here. And so to find this even in Lexington, I don't think it was to the degree it was in the deep south where large numbers of black men. It was a constant threat, vagrancy. But here it is, you know, uh, when they need a solution, they bring out this very ill-defined law of vagrancy. And uh, they used it, you know, to solve this problem. And it would be very interesting to see what other problems they solved occasionally, you know. Was Judge Riley the only one who 
use this that you know of? Well, in this case, he, he was he was the police court judge, which I I guess uh, is kind of like a, a municipal judge right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, he assured them, he, and before they met, and the, the leader reports this meeting. Yes, he assured them he would take care of it, and the way he talked to them. The way he talked to the defendants, uh, send out the word, boys. You know we're going to. It's uh, the gig is up. Uh, clear out, and uh, they cleared out. Mm-hmm. And uh, 1914 is a very interesting year, though, as far as the uh, diaspora for the country as a whole. 1914 is the real start of it, and though Kentucky didn't lose uh, huge numbers like. Uh, the deeper South did, it lost considerably. You know, if you look at the census in 1900 in Lexington, it's uh, different figures for different times, but it's in the high or mid-40s, the African-American population, 40%, I'm sorry, uh, of uh, the population of Lexington, which, of course, we know now it's about 15% or so. At that time, in 1914, it was 40%? No, I don't know about I know it was in 1900. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was mm-hmm. in 1914. But uh, it, uh, it was still pretty high up. And consider, uh, some of that is because the white population grew so and the black population didn't. But uh, a lot of it is people just moved on to better climbs. And the population of Lexington at that time was in the 30,000s? Is, is that well, correct or close? Well, you, you look it up. There's uh, so many different figures, mm. but around 1900, it was around 50-some thousand. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, but you'll get mm-hmm. different figures from it. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, um, what's, what's the end of the story? Was there a, an end of the story? What happened to to Branch Alley. It and, disappeared and, uh, completely. And in the, uh, around 1936 or so, the leader ran a nostalgic piece on it, but it, it was so nostalgic it didn't have any connection to any Branch Alley the, uh, most people knew. It was a time when it was just country and idyllic streams and stuff like that, but uh, it wasn't remembering the people who had lived there over, over, about 40, 50 years at least, you know, it just disappeared. And uh, the railroad wanted it gone, and uh, a poor black community like that just wasn't going to be allowed to be in the middle of town. Were the, um, uh, was the African-American community population uh, displaced and asked to leave, or were they moved forcibly to a to the uh, north uh, section of, of the as city? As, or as far as I can tell, nobody bothered with where they went as long as they cleared out. Clear out, Judge Riley says, and they cleared out. And they where they found they scattered, I imagine, to other parts of town, or maybe left town entirely. You know, they just cleared out. They weren't there. And uh, there was no plans, of course, for Mm -hmm. making arrangements. That's such a a modern idea of where to go to. I'm not sure that we've done too much differently now. There's that 
terrible case where what county is that where we're clearing out the trailer park mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and that's not race that's poor whites there you know in 1936 or so when the leader uh put this nostalgic piece together was union station still standing oh yes yeah union. And, and, and so what happened to it oh it was here until uh the 70s wasn't it it was torn down know. it was torn down uh you're Why? some of some of you are listening oh I'm not sure. It's just falling down, I think. Uh -huh. and, uh, it wasn't the used. A train uh, travel by that time had I, I can't and, say. I can't say. Uh -huh. uh, but I, I think it was, you know, probably in a destruction by neglect, among other things. But it was in the. It was well into the sixties. The. I don't. I don't know. I don't know when Union Station was torn down. But somebody in your listening blog will be sure to know. You have a, um, a, a sketch, a map, uh, 1901 Sanborn map of Lexington highlights the Branch Alley neighborhood located uh, along East Water Street, present-day East Vine Street, between South Mulberry Street, present-day South Limestone, and <laughs> Ayers Alley. Now, people would have to have either this map or make the uh, walk this space. I mean, you were at the farmer's market just a uh, uh, last uh, Saturday, and, and that was about is, a block away, yeah, two blocks a blo away. A block away. So I, I'm going to imagine that that the Cheapside area, the the slave auction block, was was there. Uh, it was it still being it wasn't still being used at that time as a farmers it? market. I think it was. As a farmers yeah. market. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, okay. the Cheapside market was there. Uh, well into the 20s, at least. Remember, we have uh, um, the Will Lockhart mm. uh, riot and in front of the courthouse in the Chipsire uh, market, mm -hmm. the lynching riot. Mm -hmm. And they were, one of the reasons the crowd was there was because it was market day. Mm. And they weren't there all for Will Lockhart, but there was a big crowd already mm. there. So it's right there. No, I've walked this airs. And and I found heirs and everything. It doesn't help in Lexington. Everybody changes their street names, uh, <laughs> and not just their street names, but how they were configured. You know, they straighten them out. In uh, well, we we would just have to invite people to uh, look at the map uh, in the magazine. And by the way, if you don't have the magazine, it's uh, it's free to you. All you have to do is. Uh, go to our website or call our office and, and ask for a copy of the magazine. We'd be glad to send it to you. Um, and it is, um, does not cost anything at all. We would appreciate having you on our mailing list. So bottom line, uh, Joe Anthony, uh, talking about the, the piece that you wrote for the magazine, Branch Alley just disappeared. It did disappear, but it had a lot of help from the city authorities, from the railroad, uh, and from our old boogeyman, racism. You know, it just disappeared. It wasn't an idyllic place. It wasn't like it was a, a, a great community. Uh, it was falling down, filthy, and there had a fair amount of crime. But uh, it was a community that lasted for at least 30 years or so. What are you working on now? Oh, I'm mostly doing poetry right now. 
But uh, the Kentucky Room is opening up again, so I might get down there. And uh, there's a wonderful article I started and pretty well about miscegenation, uh, marriage between the races, and the last case. I might send it in to you, fellows. And the last case prosecuted in, in Kentucky or in Lexington in 1930-31. Fascinating. And how it went. You love the Kentucky Room? I do. <laughs> it's a real treasure, isn't it? It's a real treasure, and uh, they uh, are very helpful. I'm not as adept in finding maps and other things of that sort, and they, uh, they are very kind. They just get in there and... It's like it's their job to help me. So I don't think it is. They have lots of other things to do. But well, they, Joe they Anthony, uh, thanks very much for being here on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.